Hi there, and welcome to Let's Slow Down, a podcast for all of you who feel tired and stressed from this overwhelming world. Here we'll have fun, inspiring conversations about living life on our own terms and explore ways to ease the pace of our modern world, because life really is good when you're relaxed enough to be present for it. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Stolting, and I welcome you to this space where I hope to inspire you to slow down because life is too short to let it go by in a blur. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of the Let's Slow Down podcast. Thank you for being here today. I can't believe the podcast is already four months old. In honor of that little milestone, I thought it would be a lot of fun to host a live webinar. It's going to be next week, May 10th, Wednesday, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This will give us an opportunity to have a live meeting, get to know each other. We'll be able to talk face-to-face about some of the things that have resonated with you from the show so far, topics, some of the roadblocks you have in slowing down in your own life, and maybe some of the benefits that you've come to realize over these last couple of months. So it's going to be a great space to talk about this topic that we're all so passionate about and have some fun together. So I hope you can join us for the free webinar next Wednesday, May 10th, 7 to 8 p.m. There'll be a link in the show notes today for you to sign up. I hope to see you there. And I hope that you enjoy today's episode. It's a story of strength and healing with Sophia Fontukitis. She shares valuable life lessons through her story and also some suggestions on wellness practices to avoid burnout. She's a beautiful soul inside and out, and I can't wait to share our conversation with you. Sophia, welcome. Happy to be here. So why don't we start with a a brief introduction to you and who you are? Hello. Well, I'm Sophia from Takedas. Um, well, I wear a lot of hats at the moment. I started my career actually in the corporate world, insurance, risk management, management consulting. And a few years ago, I decided to completely change course and I am completing a master's in social work. I'm graduating in August. My goal is to become a clinical, licensed clinical social worker and open a practice potentially. And then I also consult part-time for a company called Gostrina, amazing lifestyle company focused on the Greek culture, healthy lifestyle, and family. It's so interesting how, you know, you, you came, did kind of a 180 with your career. So what led you to social work? Well, I'm sure everyone can agree that 2020 was an interesting time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Understatement of the day. <laughs> the decade, maybe. Exactly. And at that time, I was also going through a lot of personal challenges. I had uh, my relationship of 17 years was coming to an end. So I was married with, with my ex for a long time and... Coming back to the U.S. after living abroad for 14 years. So I lived in London and that was a big adjustment. So you would think, well, you're American coming back to your home country. But there is definitely an adjustment to coming back. Sure. And and I was also faced with health challenges. So I suffered from an eating disorder for 25 years. 
finally it got to the point where with all of the stresses at that time, I reached a point where I needed to get help. So the whole world was slowing down and I was really forced to slow down going into treatment and getting my health back. So it was, it was like the whole world was healing at the same time. I really felt that. And that sort of then prompted me to think about what do I want to do ultimately? I could continue in this career and it, it's a great career to be in, in consulting, very stressful. I didn't find it completely fulfilled. fulfilled. So at my time in treatment, I did come across other LCSWs, that's licensed clinical social workers. They were therapists, people that worked in various capacities in treatment facilities. And I thought to myself, wow, this is, this is really amazing what these people do. And I became so fascinated with everything to do with human behavior, a lot to do with addiction, which basically comes in many forms. And that's what spurred my curiosity and ultimately led to the decision to pursue this path. I feel like you'll have such a great perspective with everyone that you work with, having lived through so much and having so many personal experiences to bring to the table that I'm sure make everything so much more personal when you're in the social work field and must feel kind of therapeutic or healing in a way to be able to use those experiences to then turn around and help others heal and recover from whatever it is that they're going through, right? Absolutely. So as part of the master's program, we do field placement hours. So we're put in real life, basically you're working. And my current field placement is at a, an addiction recovery treatment facility with also a mental health. So I'm sort of straddling the two programs. So I, I run groups for the individuals that are in the substance abuse program. And I also see individuals in the mental health program. And there's definitely a lot that I can bring, not only from just an empathetic perspective of knowing what it's like to go through treatment, mm -hmm. but also I think having, being what you would call a mature student, having a few years of lived experience brings a different perspective to how I relate to people. And I think they realize that I don't self-disclose. However, I think people can feel that she really does know what we're talking about. There's a lot to be said for the life experience, right? I feel like I'm starting to wear my age with a badge of honor a little bit. Not that we're not that we're so old, but living through so many things and, you know, especially with COVID, just living through that, coming out of it and trying to learn from all of these experiences as much as we can is really what is shaping us today. And I think it's beautiful when you can let that help you contribute to the people around you. Absolutely. Actually, my first shield placement happened to be at the World Trade Center Health Program. Oh, wow is working with the first responders that were there, the, the, the immediate aftermath of 9-11. And I was at NYU and I was going to class that day. We were trying to go to class that day. So having been there, experiencing, seeing what was going on, obviously I wasn't there first responder capacity. However, I think that also brought another element to working with individuals that had gone through something so traumatic and 
20 plus years later are still suffering the consequences because of the the toxic fumes that were there. So they have the health implications of that and also the post-traumatic stress injury that they were going through. So I was very honored and privileged to be working with those individuals. Yeah, that is, that's really special. And that's kind of crazy that you, you lived through it so personally being at NYU at the time too. Wow, can't even imagine that. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking back to what you said, circle back a little bit. You were moving back to the U.S. from London. So obviously there's such a different culture and even up, even in our country, there's such a different culture between coasts and, you know, Southern living and such a different pace in all of these different parts of our country. But then you leave the country and it's a whole different world, right? So I would love to hear a little bit, especially in regards to Reacclimating, I guess is the word when you came back home. If you could give us a little idea of what like the pace of life was over there versus here and coming back here. I have to say that the majority of my working life was actually there. And so I graduated and then I worked on the East Coast for about a year. And then I actually moved to LA. I was transferred with the insurance company I was working for at the time. So I had experience in LA. And then from there, after a few, it was about three years was when I moved to London. And in the fields that I was in, so insurance, and then especially in management consulting, it was pretty high paced, hard work, long hours. At one point I was doing a lot of traveling. However, he still got those five weeks vacation and no one said anything. I mean, I got the impression that that here you, you take a long weekend and sometimes it's like, oh, people look at you funny. Right, right. It's, it's, oh, you go on holiday. Like two weeks is just, of course you go for it. Two weeks is like the minimum. So it, it was different in that regard. People really did value their time to slow down and not be on, not answer emails if they could help it. So that's, that I think was the stark difference, especially things like maternity leave and paternity leave, which is just like very different out there and the approach to it. Yeah. It sounds like it's more accepted and yeah, just the norm, right? Yeah, absolutely. And some, in some cases required, it's like, you can't roll over those days. So you, you better use them. And here people would be like, yeah, I can't roll them over, but you know, I only took, I only took four days this year and they would act like it was like, they would get a gold star for it. You mentioned maternity and paternity. Like what was the typical accepted amount of time over there? You know, I'm not quite sure. I know they can't touch your job for a year. Wow. Well, that you get paid out that full time. Right. It, it decreases as a function of your salary. Mm-hmm. It is, it is very generous. I feel like that just makes a lot more sense. Give the, give the parents a year to regroup, <laughs> get their head on straight. And then they're a good employee. Just like taking those couple weeks vacation to right. have a break. Like they're going to work better. They're going to feel so much better when they come back. I'd imagine they are you know, grateful to the company for giving that time, allowing them to have that time. 
And then they're refreshed and renewed and they can come back and do their job and be focused rather than be burnt out and running on this like low level of kind of numb and just going through the motions all the time, which I feel like is what happens here a lot. Right. It's, it's definitely a morale booster as well. Mm-hmm. It's a, just the, the dynamic in the work environment. You could tell when people are excited about their vacation and they come back and they just feel well rested. So it's psychologically having that break and having enough time to really decompress because it takes a few days just to even get in the mode. I think the key is to learn how to do things daily or on a regular basis that keep you well, keep your anxiety at bay, that really you're listening to yourself and what's going on. I think that's really what sometimes people get lost. Mm -hmm. They don't really have that ability to tap into themselves. And then we're just on autopilot, right? And we're just going through the motions and surviving, not thriving. That's, that's a recipe for burnout for sure. Definitely. What are some little tips that you have personally, and maybe that you've seen at work that can really be beneficial? So for me personally, I, I've always had a yoga practice for two decades now, going strong. And it's always been very physical for me, especially given my, my history with with anorexia and overexercising. And I went to a yoga teacher training in, in Bali right before I moved back to the, to the U.S. And I realized the whole other side of things. I realized about the emotional and mental state that yoga also helps with. And I started a meditation practice. And I think people get scared. They go, ooh, meditation. I have to... I don't know, sitting on the mountaintop for five hours a day. Right, right. That's definitely not it. I started with like three to five minutes a day in the morning, in bed still, something very simple. And I realized a huge difference. I really did. I just, at that night, it, I wanted to do it more. I increased, mm-hmm. increased the time. And now it's sort of just whatever I feel like that day. And I think that was something that really helped me is having that time. And I do guided meditations just on YouTube. It's not anything elaborate. I haven't taken any courses. I choose a theme that I, I really want to tap into. And there's, there's so many resources. So I think for me, that really helped me. I also journaled a lot in 2020. I have gotten out of that routine, but... I wish I had more time. I write so much for my master's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea. Voice memo journaling. I heard that's a thing. <laughs> also, yes, that, that can be very, very helpful too. There's, I think it's whatever people find, whatever works for them. I think that, that definitely I, I've seen a difference. And it's that getting in tune and really learning about, I think I was cut off from my, from my emotions personally. And I think that that meditation, that time, that stillness really does help. Definitely. Yes, I agree. I've had a similar experience with that. And it took me a really long time to realize I, that phrase you just said, cut off from your emotions. I feel like it just happened, you know, as I like after college, getting into my career, I was a teacher and just getting into that whole daily grind and getting through the weeks 
I mean, I was very early in my career and I remember just making it to like the first long weekend that we had and it was in November. So what I had been there two months and I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to make it to this weekend. You know, I just needed this break so badly. And when you're in that kind of, of state of that fight or flight all the time, running around, sleep deprived, you don't know what you're feeling. You don't even know what you're thinking. I mean, you're truly on the hamster wheel. And I feel like the only way to come back to yourself and really start being more intuitive is to have some kind of a meditation practice. You need that silence to sit with yourself and your thoughts, or you can, you just can't hear them. You can't hear them. And I noticed the same. I started really short because that just seemed like the only way. And I find myself turning to it a lot more frequently. And even if it is in short doses, small doses, three to five minutes, I find myself doing it more and more because I really do feel the benefits. And when you look at it as a three minute thing, like who can't find three minutes? Exactly. Who can't find three minutes when they're lying in bed in the morning instead of (laughs) rolling through your phone, which is probably not the best way to start. Right. So find a, find a guided meditation on YouTube or whatever it is. And actually scientific reasons is exactly what you were just talking about when you're constantly in that fight or flight mode your sympathetic nervous system is activated and so stress is great in short doses stress cortisol pumping blood to your extremities getting yourself ready to run from the tiger or whatever threat existed back in the day yeah awesome however in today's day and age if we're constantly in that state Actually, we're always in fight or flight. And in order to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which gets us into rest and digest, also having implications physically on our bodies. That's why when we're stressed, what happens? Our bodies tense up, stomach hurts, heart palpitations. It's been done through breathing as well. Getting into that parasympathetic state is really important. And this is just an exercise to achieve that. And also I found that having that stillness and that space between thoughts and really who am I and my thoughts and emotions, which are passing, I may feel this way right now. I'll sit with it, feel the emotion and then let it go. It also helps in our personal relationships. Yes. They're they're deeper. I felt like I was being more present. But I felt it definitely helps with reactivity. And I think it really does make a difference in that sense too. And and look, it's it's something that's kind of an investment. It doesn't happen overnight. And what works for everybody is different. I think it's just something to you know keep in mind and, and however whatever way, shape, or form it comes to each person, I think it is so important to make sure that we check in with ourselves. Yes. Yes. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Check in with yourself, whatever that looks like. I know for some people, it is through exercise. I know I've talked to a lot of people and they say, I really don't, I like the space and the quiet and the solitude, but I I don't like to sit. I like to be on a walk or a jog or, so it does look really different for everybody. And I think it also looks different every day, depending on how I feel. 
and putting like my therapist hat on, I would say, what's uncomfortable about the stillness? Why can't you sit? Right. Exactly. I'm only saying that because I actually asked that to myself. Okay. And that's, that's where you'll get the interesting answers. That's where you'll get the interesting, ooh, I'm actually trying to, I want to get on the treadmill because I want to run away from X, Y, Z. Right. In a way. So I think that's, that's sort of an interesting way to. There's a lot in there to unpack. <laughs> yeah. 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 So true. And for me, I noticed coming out of winter as we record this, it's currently gray and raining outside. And for me, I just feel so affected. I think I have some of that seasonal affect disorder for sure. I notice I just have more energy when the sun is out. Even if it is cold outside, if the sun is shining, it just, I feel brighter. I'm very affected by that personally. Definitely something to be said for that. And some people love the cold and they love rainy days. I'm trying to appreciate every type of weather. Rainy days might be good for a day in, quieter, lazy day where you just want to read. You're not compelled to go outside, right? So maybe it is a good day to take an extra long bath or just take your time reading your book, something along those lines. So I think there is definitely, I mean, my preference is to have sun and warm every day. Yes, yes. There's good in everything, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And just being able to slow down enough to let yourself find it, find the good, see the good be a little more intuitive Yep. rather than push through and feel like, oh no, I was telling myself I had to go for a run outside today. You know, well, things change and being flexible. Absolutely. That's for me personally, the biggest lesson that I've, I've learned is to be more flexible. I really wasn't as very inflexible and that's sort of a common characteristic. So I now realize when I'm going down that path, when I may be doing too much. And now it's, it's not, I think this common misconception, I think I kind of tell on myself, you know what, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I realize that I've hidden. I think it's going to be okay if I, if I sit out this one, or if I, I know that this is a friend that I can tell, you know what, I just can't do it today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really hard. It's I agree. hard for me historically. I think that it does though, help in the long term, making us more effective. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's something that I find really hard as well, but super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I learned not too long ago that I was an introvert. That was kind of an aha moment for me because I like people. I love being around people. I love talking to people and getting together with friends, come from a really big family. So learning that about myself when I realized, okay, yeah, I like people, but I also need my space to replenish my own energy and feel refreshed. And I still find it really hard, but I'm getting better at if I have a really a weekend where there's a lot of, of things going on, or I'll try to at least try to figure out some time for some downtime, some quiet time, or or if it's impossible, depending on what's happening, then the next weekend I try to not make as crazy and as full because I just don't do well with that. And then the things like, the, even though they are fun things, I'm kind of a grump because I don't 
it's too much for me. So I think that's important. One people have is, oh, if I'm an introvert, why do that? How does can that be? I love being out, going out and seeing people and being with my friends and family. And I'm the same way. And I need that time to decompress by myself. Whereas extroverts, for them to unwind, for them to blow off steam, it's actually with other people. And that's not me. Right. Right. Me neither. And it's interesting to me because a lot of the people around me, my husband, my best friend, who is our mutual friend, they are extroverts. They are truly extroverts. And two out of my three kids are as well. And, you know, just just knowing that, I think once I realized that I was not, just explaining that to them helped because then they're like, okay, it's not that you don't want to hang out with us. Cause I used to tell my husband sometimes this sounds really horrible. Please don't judge me. But like mother's day would come and I'd be like, just, can you just guys, can you go? I love you all, but I would love a day by myself. And I know that sounds awful, but that's what I needed to fill my cup. And now knowing this about me and my personality and kind of how I function it helps the people around you understand some of the decisions that you're making as well. And when you pull back or say, no, it's not that you don't want to be with them or spend time with them. It's that you need that for yourself. You need that space for yourself. And that has been really challenging to navigate because for a long time, I just did all, all of it. And I would sort of beat myself up over things like, well, why, why don't I feel like I can do this? Just knowing all of this put a lot into perspective and made a lot of things make sense for me. So it was helpful. Totally. And it's difficult sometimes setting boundaries mm-hmm. or actually saying what is your truth, like what you're feeling. It's, it's for me though, I think it really is helpful uh, because then those connections are more meaningful and people that love you and want to be with you, they, they get it. They'll understand. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you push through and go anyway, when you really don't feel up to it, that's when like the argument happens or you say something that you really regret later because you're just kind of tapped out. So it's not a good situation. (laughs) It causes more problems, right? Yeah. So you mentioned the rest and digest a little bit, and that is a new term to me. I recently learned about it and I totally thought I was just remembering thinking of like summers as a kid where, you know, you're playing outside or you're swimming or whatever and you have stopped for dinner and then all the adults are like, oh, you guys got to sit. You can't go back in the pool for 20 minutes or you can't go, you know, run around for 20 minutes. You got to take it easy. That to me, that's what I thought rest and digest was. And I have since learned that that is not what it is. So can you explain it a little bit and tell us why it's so important? So when you're in fight or flight mode, if you're stuck in that for a long time, for example, people that have undergone traumatic events, it wreaks havoc on your body. And that's a recipe for chronic conditions, mental health, as well as physical health. And basically activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest, it kind of is like the sweet spot, where we want to be, where everything is functioning well, right? Where we're able to have hormonally, where our digestion is working well, and we're not in that state of panic, that hyper arousal. So what happens sometimes is if 
went through something that's sort of really hard, we can either be hyper aroused when we're constantly like ready to fight, flight, or the opposite of that is dissociating or fawning where we kind of are outside of our own bodies. It's like we're in a movie. So I work with people that they describe a horrific experience with a tone of voice that I have right now. Like there's, there's no, it's, it's as if it didn't happen to them. And that is a, also a survival mechanism. Right. And I guess a long winded way of saying that when we get into our sweet spot, that's when we're operating at optimal capacity and we are in that parasympathetic state. So in terms of digestion, what does that mean? Rest and digest is just the, the kind of the term, um, that's, that's basically, it really has nothing to do with the food as much. Yeah. Saying that that's the state where if you're in that hyper arousal state, if we're getting ready to run for the tiger, what happens? Everything that is not essential stops. The bowels open up, right? Like you're running from the tiger, right? You're in this hyper arousal state. Whereas what happens when you're relaxed? You're resting. Digestion is working well. Everything's functioning the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, I learned that you actually don't even absorb, probably for the, those exact reasons, if you're totally stressed and you think you're running from a predator, your body is not worried about digesting the food that you just ate. That is not the priority. So it probably well, just moves everything through, right? And, and you don't absorb the nutrients, which is crazy. Well, and that's sometimes people have their, their stomach act up. Yep. There's a restroom because it's that, that response. It's like, we don't have time to, to digest anything now. We've, we have to, you know, the we have bigger, bigger problems. Yeah. Bigger. And that's also what happens with a woman's menstruation, the menstrual cycle. That's why there could be regular menstrual cycles. If, if people are on, in that state, there's no time to think about carrying another life. Right. If you are in threat. Makes sense. And that's kind of what that term implies of rest and digest is that we're able to function properly. Yeah. I mean, we are not made to be on in high stress situations, running, running, running all the time. We're just not made for that at the heart of, of how our bodies were created, you know, and going back to historically, there was a lot of time. Yeah. They would have to run from a predator once in a while, but that was a very small percentage of their day to day. Yeah. Day -to -day. Right. And that's why a little bit of stress is not bad. Sure. Even, even today, it gets us ready to do something. If you have a little bit of adrenaline, adrenaline, yep. Well, to, I don't know, perform or do something. The issue is when it's at constant state. Yeah. And I would argue that it doesn't even help you as much then when you do need it, if you're always in it, you know, it needs to be special. It needs to be something that your body gets occasionally, not all of the time. I'm a clarinetist and I remember going to all these auditions and doing performances and especially the solo performances would be really stressful for me. And, and I really did have to learn at a young age how to channel the adrenaline and and use it to my advantage. I remember being in a few auditions where I sort of had that out-of-body experience where all of a sudden I was taking the, the solo faster than I had practiced it, like a little bit faster, but I was nailing it. And I 
I remember a couple of times and I had, I had a watch that I didn't let myself start thinking because when I started to think, then I would make a mistake. Just had to sort of let it happen. And that was adrenaline. That was like a perfect example of how adrenaline can be a positive thing. And, you know, it was helpful. And that's the beauty of live performances, which, you know, going back to the pandemic, we missed all of those things. And there is such an energy to all of that. You go to a live concert and there's so much energy there. It's so, so fun. You can't replicate that. I mean, you can listen to the album at home, but it's not the same as being there with the actual live music happening, being made, being created right before your eyes and your ears. So adrenaline can be awesome, just not all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Very infrequently. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just, the rest of, you know, you don't want to have that strain on your heart, for right. example or strain on your, just the rest of your body. And that's why, I mean, I guess you could say, they do say like, it's good to rest after you eat because of digestion. It does kind of all play together in that you're not thinking about having a relaxing time and eating and digesting well when you're in that state. And I, that's why they say that you shouldn't eat really when you're upset or anxious or any of those things it will impact the way your digestion works. Sure. Talk to us about how your Greek heritage has impacted you. Well, as I mentioned, I spent a long time abroad and I've traveled to many places in the world. And yes, maybe I'm biased. There is no place like, <laughs> like I will be red slippers and, you know, like the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like Greece in terms of just the the culture and the heritage and that element of for me feeling ultimately recharged after a time in Greece it's just you know, there's no oh we have to turn over the table in two hours no if you go there and you get a coffee they won't bother you for <laughs> the rest of the day if you want <laughs> yeah, it, it's this mentality of Everybody kind of just relax and break bread, right? That ultimate yes. sharing time with friends and family and, and just enjoying people, people's company and enjoying good, wholesome food. And that's exactly what happens every time I go there. And I just love the way that they structure their day. And of course, I'm there on vacation, but on a vacation day... It's very much like you can have a long leisurely lunch. Sometimes it's like there's these four things on the menu and there's like a little grandma in the back cooking them and you know everything is. And then later that evening, if you go to a taverna or anywhere, they'll be like, you want, you want a fish? Come, come pick the fish. And you see that the fishermen had just caught them earlier in the day. And the way that you choose your fish is by looking at the eye. To, to be able to tell its freshness, if it has a, a bit of a cloudy eye, you don't want to eat that fish. And they're just like, which fish would you like? I just love that. I find that it, being on the beach and even in a very simple, it doesn't have to be a super fancy touristy place. There's a different vibe and there's a different just beauty, natural beauty that I haven't seen anywhere else. That's Sounds amazing. It is on my list. Yeah. Definitely. Do you, I don't know if you can even speak to this, but what, what does, so I know you're, you know, when you're there, you're on vacation. So obviously our, our 
daily life is so different when we're vacationing, but what, what does their life look like? And even just the fact that there is that slower vibe there still today is incredible to believe. It's hard to believe. But what is like a typical person who's working? Do you know, like, what is their, do they take the longer lunch? I mean, obviously we know they take the vacations, but what does their day-to-day look like? I mean, Mike, the only experience there, not a vacation. Between junior and senior year of college, I did a short internship at a company there. It was a venture capital firm, and I was just kind of a lowly assistant helping with some research. And I commuted and I worked and saw, you know, they get in at nine o'clock and they do take their lunch though. And what I found interesting is that it was a hot lunch. They had hot lunch every day. They had it in the building or they had nearby. So there was just that time to take a lunch. They weren't taking three hour lunches, obviously, in the middle of and it was, they did work hard. It was a very kind of just what you would consider a normal, quote unquote, working environment. I, I think that it was definitely different. The culture was definitely different. I spent years as a teacher, you know, having like a 20 minute, if you're lucky. I mean, the thing start to finish was 20 minutes. God forbid you had to go to the bathroom or make some copies or do anything else. But it's like you had 20 minutes to, you know, maybe you're eating at your desk, maybe you get into the teacher's room to just socialize for a few minutes, but forget about a hot lunch. I mean, you didn't have time for that. You know, you're bringing a a quick sandwich or whatever, just something quick and kind of shoveling it down to get, to get back to class. And I've even heard with, you know, and I know that there is a hot lunch element to our public schools, but I have heard that in other areas of the world, they do like the school lunch is just so much more nutritious and healthy. Like, I don't know, the school lunches leave a lot to be desired in terms of any kind of nutritional value, I feel like here in in this country. So you need a whole other podcast just about what's happening with with nutrition and children and how that leads to I'm I would imagine, and what I'm learning about is overdiagnosis of things like ADD and ADHD, which have underlying roots in nutrition. Yeah. Along with other factors, of course, but when we're overloading things with sugar and processed foods, it's not not beyond the wit of man (laughs) that that's going to have some kind of detrimental effects for sure. To be continued on that one. Absolutely. So as we wrap up today, I mean, you've given us a lot of takeaways that we can do to kind of slow down and add some mindfulness and intention to our day, whether it's just a three-minute guided meditation, maybe it's just three minutes of sitting in silence or doing yoga, slowing down as we eat, all of these things, just taking the vacations, people. We, we can still do that here. It's okay. We can do it and not feel guilty about it. Are there like one or two things that you find yourself saying pretty regularly to most people that you work with? I now see the value of pinpointing where emotion is in the body. In other words, when people are telling me some, something that happened, they felt a certain way. And, and I learned this from, from someone that I 
I think is an extremely, extremely amazing therapist. Where do you feel that in your body? And I think that that really gets them to be like, oh, well, my heart starts to flutter and my, my, my shoulders are kind of tensing and whatever it is, I think that that sort of makes people then realize that this is an emotion that is passing through them. Just as if it is an emotion that is passing through them, they can let it go. They can release that tension. They can change their breath. And that's sort of just an amazing thing to see when people start to implement that. And in the short time that I've been working with some people, they're like, I'm, I'm able to just realize when things are happening now. Almost like they're able to identify their triggers quicker. And I think that that's really important in, in whatever sort of day-to-day life. So even when we can't take those extended vacations or meditation seem, feels like it might be daunting right now, whatever it is, I think that that is something that I find myself, I'm using that technique more often than not. And it does seem to make people tap into something, at least in the moment. It sounds really powerful and really, really effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that it might not be easy. I found that it's, it's challenging. Sure. And I think the more I learn about things and the more that I work with people, hopefully I'll have much bigger toolbox to, to share. Yeah. Yes. One of what just came to that popped into my mind just now. I love that. That's something that I, I think we don't think about it very much, how the mental and the physical are obviously all very much connected. And a thought that we have is not just in our head, but we feel it and it it manifests in different ways. And I noticed it with my kids a lot of times where they're they'll say they have a stomach ache and they think they're, you know, they have a stomach bug. And but a lot of times it's actually they're nervous about something and it 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 yeah. We call it the worry in their belly. I, I learned how to give it a term. And with my little one, that was really helpful because she kept thinking she had, you know, stomach aches. And she did have stomach aches, but it was something she was thinking about that was causing them, not necessarily her food. Absolutely. And I think there's so many, maybe there's so many cases with like IBS and yes. that, uh, chronic headaches that it's it it's it is emotion trapped in the body and i'm actually this is an amazing book the body keeps the score by bessel van der kolk md and it's actually i i had this book already and then it is on a reading list for one of my classes this semester so that's handy nice it does really go into a lot about that about mind and body we're not cut off here everything is connected yes and I will link that just for everybody listening, because I know that's, I would definitely like to read that. Personally, I will link the title of that in the show notes in case anybody wants to check it out. It's a good tip. Thank you. Awesome. It's been a lot of fun talking to you and hearing about your experiences and all of the things that you are learning and putting into affecting your life and all the good that you're doing. Thank you for, man, you're making a difference in your life. You're making it count. Thank you so much for having me. I love this. If there's one thing that anyone can take away from this, then that's totally worth doing. So absolutely. I, I think there'll be more than one thing for a lot of people. So thank you for being here today and giving us your time, Sophia. Well, thank you so much. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and have been inspired to slow down and start living life at your own pace. As a brand new podcast, your listener voice matters. If Let's Slow Down is resonating with you, please take a minute to leave a review and rate us. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen and share it with friends. Remember, this is a process, so go easy on yourself. Be gentle and take all the space you need to thrive because the world needs you to be at your best, to love and serve others and yourself. 